We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men from Odo, and you're listening to episode 98, Dissension in the Ranks. My name is David Sville, and I have Travis Sowers again with me this week. How are you, sir? I'm doing wonderful, David. How are you? Uh, I'm good. How was your holiday? It was really good. Got to spend some time with the family, some time with the wife, um, some time with the cat. Played a lot of arena. It's it's good to be Travis. Mm-hmm. How about you? Did you have a happy happy Christmas and, and New Year's? It was good. We had family over. We uh, had a bunch of friends over the other day on the 30th, I think it was, and we played a bunch of games. We played Secret Hitler, and I had the game-winning play, and then I bungled it, and then I fixed it. And then I bungled it again, and that was kind of the uh, the capstone to my entire week. So it was, it was pretty good, though. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, how's your arena been? Arena's been good. I've still been having quite a blast streaming and playing arena. I haven't drafted in a long time, although I'm getting very close to Mythic Ranked and Constructed, and thinking I might try out the draft thing afterwards and just see how it goes, like... I've accidentally banked something like 30,000 gold, so it's hard to argue not to, to use it for that. Uh, but I've, I've been having fun playing um, in the best of one ranked ladder, and Show, uh, an arena streamer, has been kind enough to host some tournaments every week. Um, so we've done two of those where it was a best of three kind of tournament with some other streamers, and it's been a lot of fun as well. Right on. Um, I'm thinking about saving my gold for... Uh... What's it? What's the next set called? I, I, for some reason, I just can't remember what it's called. Ravnica Allegiances. Is that what it is? Oh, yeah. They're actually doing Ixalan next as the draft format. Oh, I no, was, no, no. I'm out on that. Ran, randomly, I was like in. I was like, you know, I need some of these cards for Constructed. And if we're going to do a format where I'm drafting to try to rank up, I, I actually know how to do that in Ixalan. I think I'm going to save the gold for uh, for the next actual like brand new set. The next Ravnica set, I think, is is what I'm going for here. And that's really only a couple of weeks away. Yeah, not that far. Actually, I mean, actually, we can talk about this now. It was announced today that they're doing another uh, streamer event, and yours truly has been invited. I imagine you have been as well. Yes, I, I imagine we're both very happy to have been invited by Wizards to participate in the special streamer-only event and been given access to special preview accounts for that event. I am looking forward to playing with my fully stocked uh, standard account and probably also maybe getting to draft some, question mark? I'm not sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, that'll be fun. I, I look forward to those. That's kind of like the highlight of preview season for me is the previews wrap up. You know, we get to do our podcast on it. I get to do this event. And then the set comes out the next day or the next weekend, and it's usually a pretty good time. Once again, we get the set early, so... Huzzah! Huzzah. It's, uh, it's, it seems that it's going to be a regular thing now, and I'm, I'm totally stoked for it. Remember the dark days of getting the set on Arena like two weeks later? On MTGO, but yeah. No, on Arena, remember? <laughs> the first two sets, oh. we, we got them much later than what we did on, uh, on Magic Online. <laughs> Apparently, I just remember darker days than you, because... Yeah, I remember it back in Moto too. Yeah, so no, no, it's it's uh it's all good. So uh, you and I, I mean, you've been grinding the ladder more than I have, but um, 
now that you've had a little bit of time to, to play it, I've, I've formulated some opinions on it. What What's your take on the latter as a whole? I've been enjoying it, Dave. Like, it it took me from someone who wasn't playing standard, and I, understand, I don't actually think best of one is standard. I think it's an entirely different format that uses the same card pool as standard, but is a different format. So I, I guess I shouldn't really say standard. But it took me as someone who was really only interested in limited and got me involved in playing. And they really didn't have to do much. Like the rewards for best of one ranking up are kind of awful. And they know that. There's going to be some better stuff there later. They've mentioned cosmetics. But all they had to do was dangle that, hey, you can rank up to mythic in front of me. And all of a sudden I'm interested. And frankly, I don't really want to do anything else until I've achieved that because I want it. It's kind, of, um, it's kind of amazing what happens when they put a carrot in front of somebody like that. Um, I yeah. Mean, it's the same for me. So, you know, I went from playing primarily limited on, on Arena to primarily playing best of one, whether that be in the constructed event, which I never touched before. But now I run the constructed event when I'm testing a new deck, which is surprising to me. Like, I don't want to lose my rank testing a new deck. Yeah. So I'm running it in the in the 500 gold uh, com, uh, constructed queues, I guess. And... Um, it's interesting to me that when you put that that risk of losing your rank on the line, how much how how I play a little bit better, or when I'm um you know I finally had a deck nailed down and I've played my fifteen to twenty games you know and I understand what I'm doing with the deck, now I'm ready to crush the cues and and see how it goes and I'm excited to to get in there and try it out, um, you know it's just interesting to me that it's it's changed me as a as a player. And how I approach magic, but I think at the end of the day, it's all still magic. It's all still this game game that we've loved and played forever. It's just the way we played is evolving and changing, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Yeah. So for you then, what's like what does mythic mean to you? Or what do the different ranks mean to you? Like you you set yourself a goal of mythic. I've set myself a goal of diamond. We joked off the stream here that um diamond is probably a single dad or dad or mom mythic or whatever you want to call it where uh those that don't have the time to play every single day you know can probably realistically attain diamond if they win enough and they work hard enough at it but you know mythic might be out of reach for them but what's your what's your goal or i mean obviously mythic is your goal but what's your what does that mean for you what is that going to do for you as a streamer as a player as a person that enjoys magic you know, I, I don't really know other than that the carrot is there and that makes me want it. There's, you know, Hearthstone uses the legend ranks like if you get high enough to consider invites for tournaments. And I'm hoping that Arena will too. I mean, if they do that, by by Jove, I'm going to grind out those ranks. But I, I think it's, it's, it's something to put on the resume. And like, I also want to see how long it takes to do it. Like, I'm playing pretty well and it's felt like a little bit of a grind. Because like there's some days where I've basically just wibble wobbled around the same rank for two or three or even four hours at a time, and that can be a challenge. And I, I went from like I remember platinum was a really tough one because I I got to plat one and then went all the way back down to like almost going back to plat three, and like that was a terrible losing streak and it felt rough. So like mainly right now I just want to test it out and see what it means. Um, the stream has been enjoying watching me like put together decks and and try to face this challenge. So I'd, I'd say the goal for me has always been engaging content and fun, but it, it feels like something competitive and that there's something on the line with each of these games. And that's what's got me excited to play it. 
Yeah, and um, I think the same goes for me, too. Um, for me, I really like looking at the data of it. Um, and I've been tracking, once I hit platinum, uh, I started tracking my, my win-loss stats and, and the number of games it took me to get you know, from, from plat 4 to plat 3. I found that gold was an interesting kind of black hole for lack of a better term, there's a, I think there's a lot of people that get stuck in gold and reasonably like anybody with a 50% or better winning percentage will get to gold. It's a matter of getting out of gold. Um, th- that's the challenge. But like I did, I ran in that same problem trying to get the plat where I, you know, I'd be one win away, you know, I'd say something to in chat or something like that. Like, Hey, you know, give me your energy. I'm one win away. And then I'd lose four in a row or I'd lose five in a row. But conversely, I'd also put a, put together winning streaks as, as I was going through gold. So it was kind of, these ebbs and flows, the ups and downs, the roller coaster of, of the ranking. And it, it taught me one thing. And that is in ladder specifically, you can't just look at your individual games, right? You can't just look at your individual data points and try to get information out of those because the variance is going to be so much higher in that small window, uh, that you're looking into, into your games or your matches or whatever. And you almost need to take like 10, 15, 20 game samples and really look at your play over that period. And I think that those people that have a way to track that, whether that be manually on spreadsheets, let's say, or through some kind of tool like the MTG Pro Tracker, um, those people can look past those patterns or those, sorry, those individual games and look for patterns in their in their play or patterns in their matchups and take that data and use that to kind of give them a little bit of an edge um, especially if they don't have the time to grind right to mythic, you know, in like a week or something like that, like some players have. I think, I think that the folks that were work hard at it and really study themselves and study the decks that they're playing, I think will be able to uh, to get a little bit of a leg up on the competition, which I think will be important if you want to make it to you know diamond or mythic or whatever your your goal is, and you're not just you know you don't just have like a silver bullet deck that you stumbled upon that wins seventy five percent of its games. Yeah, it, uh, variance can certainly be a, an issue. Like, that's kind of why Best of Three was developed as a way to play Magic competitively, was to remove some of that variance. And it can certainly be tilting to run in there and, and just lose a game and lose rank from it. But I, I, I really like that perspective you're taking, where it's like, let's look at this over 10 games. Let's look at this over 20 games and see where we're moving. Did you rank up during your play session? Did you stay the same during your session or did you fall down during your play session? These are really ways to look at it and not get too wrapped up in one individual game. Because I think down that path lies tilt and tilt is the mind killer. Yeah, so I used to talk about how I played poker and I, I did dabble with uh, online poker for a while. And, you know, one of the things that you did when you played online poker, a lot of players did when they played online poker was track their their bankroll or the amount of money that they had from hand to hand and quite frequently you're playing like three four five tables at a time online so you know it was really tough for you to just kind of focus on one individual bad beat or you know one individual poor decision but what you do is you track all your stats and you get this nice little chart at the end of your session it would tell you you know you made 18 dollars today or you lost four dollars today and that's kind of what i think this needs to be so you know, as I'm going through platinum here, I'm making sure that I track each individual win and loss, but I try to throw out each individual result from my head as soon as the game is over. Once I've made my notes, I'm done. And then I sit down at the end of my session, my 15 games or whatever I'm playing for the day, and I go back and evaluate. And what's interesting is, you know, you might, I might feel like I'm on a losing streak sometimes. And then I go back and look at the numbers and it's like, well, 
you know, I actually won 60% of my games today, even though I felt like I was losing a lot. So it's like, I can go back and I can think about it. Well, were my wins really easy? Were my losses really hard? You know, were my wins long and drawn out and my losses really quick? Like how, how did I come to this conclusion at the end of the session? And it lets me be more honest with myself about my play. Conversely to that though, like I can also go in there and, and see like really bad numbers and get stressed out about it or think about it and say like, well, am I doing something wrong? Do I need to change my deck? And I think this is the struggle of best of one is, you know, figuring out if you are on a bad streak, if, if your deck is not tuned for the meta, trying to figure out what the meta is um, and trying to attack that and always trying to gain those, you know, extra percentage points where you can. So being a good player will only take you so far. Selecting the correct deck for the meta, I think will take you much further um, and I think your average player should be able to rank up, even if it's slowly, um, given a solid deck that can win, you know, at least 50% of its matchups in the meta. Mm -hmm. So that being said, what, uh, what kind of decks have you been attacking the meta with? And actually, what have you seen in the meta so far? Well, I, let's start with what I've played. Um, I played the Naya tokens list significantly that I took the rivals tournament um with a, a few adjustments to to lean it towards best of one basically bringing some sideboard cards into the main deck i've played a mono red list that i found on show's twitter that he played to mythic i played a mono white list that you linked me to and i actually quite liked that uh that got me i think a full rank in gold um and i also played some golgari uh, so I had, I had a Golgari deck that I liked for best of one, and I accidentally played my Nicol Bolas Singleton deck once <laughs> uh, because I clicked the wrong deck. I did not win that game. But th those are the four that I've been spending the most time on. And what I've seen has been varied, but also like generally definable as like, I think usually aggro and control decks and less mid-range decks. Like there was a lot of Golgari initially, but that's kind of seemed to disappear for me and i end up playing against you know one of the monocolor aggro decks or one of them with a splash so like there's a deck people are calling boros but it's really just a white deck splashing heroic reinforcements uh there's mono red mono blue mono white and then there's some variant of a controlling deck and i've seen golgari shells that are very controlling with board wipes i've seen esper decks that are very controlling with board wipes jeskai decks that are controlling with board wipes and the Drake decks are still kind of there, but the ones that I'm bumping into are more like Jeskai decks that have Drakes in them. Um, and I, I honestly think that that part of that was because of the best of one idea is like they, they want you to, they want to be able to kill you, not sit there and drag, drag along a game. Um, so they need to be able to win quickly just in case you don't scoop once they've established control. And then I've encountered Turbo Fog. And like, honestly, Turbo Fog is the biggest reason that I really love the Mono Red deck is basically as, as soon as I see them play a Hinterland Harbor, I'm like, you're dead. You don't know it yet, but you're dead. I've got too much burn in this deck and you're not going to stop it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I've enjoyed that. Whereas like if, if I'm playing any of the other decks and they lead with that, you know, blue green duel, I'm like, ah, oh, great. We're dead. They're going to cast Nexus of Fate a million times. It's kind of an interesting paper, rock, scissors, except you know, where mid-range might usually be your scissors in your best of three meta at your F&M or something like that. Um, it's almost like, you know, control, aggro, and then some other variant of aggro, which is the scissors. And that's your paper rock scissors where mono red might lose to mono white, white life gain or aggro life gain, let's say. Um, but the white 
aggro life gain loses to turbo fog and then you know mono red beats turbo fog so there's your there's your paper rock scissors triangle right there i i think it's important to mention why i think mid-range is is not doing particularly well in best of one and i I think the big part of that was like they required a sideboard like if you look at most golgari deck sideboard it's got really cool stuff to bring in against control and really cool stuff to bring in against aggro and it was trying to have a main deck that had some game against either of them so like i even built a controlly golgari deck that was built to kind of try to beat these winning strategies. The problem was I wasn't as good at beating them as the control decks were. And the deck that I constructed just lost to control decks. Mm -hmm. So like even pre sideboarding, and it it may be that like Golgari is not, you know, the mid range deck and there's others that could be viable. I'm not saying don't play it if you don't want to, but I, I think a deck like that, that's built to really like transform a little bit after the sideboard, it's obviously going to be a little bit worse than best of one. Yeah, I think Golgari specifically struggles because there are a lot of cards that um, that die to the commonly played aggro cards. So there's a lot of X1s or X1s before they explore specifically that die to Chain Whirler if they don't get the token or the plus one plus one counter. Um, they die to Firebrand, they die to Shock, they die to all of these things. Um, and then you're not getting enough value off of those cards when you get two for one by Ritual of Soot or when you get three for one by a Settle the Wreckage or a Deafening Clarion or something like that. Um, there's just not enough not enough oomph there from the Golgari deck unless you have the explosive Wild Growth Walkers start, which is something common that I've seen where a lot of these decks are playing the four of Wild Growth Walkers to beat that you know, aggro strategy. But then again, you kind of have to be on the play you know, with a, an explore card in your hand and the walker in your hand and hope your opponent doesn't have a turn two lava coil or turn two lightning strike. Right. And, and that's really mm-hmm. tough to do in a, in a, in a meta, which is kind of riddled with, you know, mono red, mono white strategies that, that both have potentially turn three removal spells, um, as well as, you know, just straight up board wipes in cleansing Nova on turn five and where the life gain just doesn't even matter against control. So it's like you're putting all of these pieces together to try and give yourself game against the in in the in the matchups you think you can win so specifically mono red maybe mono white um but you're almost folding entirely to control and turbo fog and you know if you look at the meta let's say it's split you know 60 40 aggro control you know you're just going to give up 40% win rate right off the hop and you're not beating your aggro decks 100% of the time. So it's just, just doesn't seem well positioned right now. Now, that being said, I've seen like, I don't know if you call it a mid rage deck or what, but like I've seen like a big green deck uh, going around. Yeah, there's a stompy deck. I've seen that one, sure. Like, I don't know if if you classify that as a mid rage. It's probably as mid range as you're going to get, you know, in, in this meta maybe. Um, And I've seen that kind of piloted to some success, but you know, again, like unless you, unless you have game against aggro, it's pretty tough. And those elves, they they sure do get eaten by chain rollers for breakfast, don't they? They certainly do. As And anybody that, like, if your opponent goes turn one, land of war elf, and you can kill it, you're killing it. You're killing it every time. Mm-hmm. So, I, like, it, I think the two decks that I've been playing the most, uh, the, the tokens deck and the mono red deck, just have no problem with that mono green stompy deck. So I've kind of dismissed it a little bit. I was also playing that initially um, when we first started playing standard 
in the open beta for Arena. So like the deck really hasn't innovated much since then. It's, you know, cross your fingers that you have the Land of War Elf 5-4 start, and then maybe you can do something with Galta and kill them. It's like, I, I didn't particularly care for that one. But I honestly feel like you can take any good deck and put it in the hands of any decent player and give it enough time they're going to achieve the rank that they're looking for. It's about finding those edges to be able to do it a little bit quicker or do it in a way that you enjoy. Like, honestly, after four hours of grinding with Mono Red, I needed a little break, so I switched to the tokens. It's okay to do that. Mm-hmm. I think the key thing here, though, is it's got to be a good deck. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't... I don't want to insult the people that have kind of their pet decks um, or maybe are are anti-net decking, but like there's a very small percentage of the magic playing population that is good at building decks. Most of the decks that exist right now are variations of decks that were created before them, right? Like there's very few original decks. There's very few players that just come out and say like, look at this brand new deck that I can take to it to a GP and make day two with, or, or top eight with or something like that and have a realistic shot of, of winning. If you're bringing a pet deck, you're probably going to get stuck in that gold black hole. And there's going to be exceptions to the rule. I understand that, right? Like I ran into, um, you know, in the, in the plat ladder, I ran into somebody playing vampires. It might've been just something they were playing for fun at the bottom of plat four, or it might've been something that they've, they ranked through gold with, but you know, deck decks like that are, are going to get eaten alive by a lot of the decks that are like the finely tuned, streamlined, you know, either highly aggressive or, or highly controlly decks. And all of these versions of your pet mid-range decks are just not going to make it there. And I'm the first one to admit that I'm a terrible deck builder. So I don't even begin to look at my collection and say, boy, I wonder what I can make with these cards. I run to MTG Goldfish. I run to Reddit. I run to, you know, my local uh, gaming forum or something like that. I'm I'm looking for the people that are having the most success at GPs or online tournaments or in the ladder, people that have made Mythic already, I'm taking their deck, I'm looking at it, trying to figure out what it does first, trying to figure out how to play it, and then I run it in a constructed event or I run it in the in the practice rooms or something like that just to get a feel for it. Once I've got experience with that deck, maybe I'll look to start tweaking it for the meta. You know, maybe Plat 3 is different than Diamond, so I need to tweak it a little bit. But there is no way that I'm sitting down to build my own deck because I just don't think I have the skill. I don't think anybody really has the skill outside of a very select few. So be honest with yourself. If you want to hit Diamond or you want to hit Mythic, you know, suck it up and go in that deck. That's just your best strategy unless you're, like I said, one of those very, very few people that can actually construct a deck. Um, But be honest with yourself. If you can track your stats and you look at it and you're not getting anywhere, you know, it could be your play, but it could also be your deck selection. There's a, a lot of different ways to enjoy magic, you know, like there's all sorts of different ways you can play, but ladder play by its very nature is competitive. And I think the advice Dave is giving here is good advice, but it's advice for any competitive scenario. If you're going to play with your buddies at the kitchen table, you know, bring whatever you want. If you're going to an FNM and you just want to have a good time, you know, play whatever you want. If you want to rank up, you're probably going to need to bring a knife to a knife fight, right? And not just show up unarmed. And that's all he's saying. It's like, I don't think there's ever been, like, I've never seen any issue with net decking. Like, the information's there, ignoring it. Like, if, again, your your intent is to win and be competitive, seems like you're kind of just doing yourself a disservice. So get comfortable with what the decks are out there and, and, like, find one that you like and that you can build with the cards that you have. 
and see what you can do with it. Mm-hmm. What sort of decks have you bumped into? Like, what have you been playing and, and what have you seen out there? So I started with Golgari Midrange because that's what I had constructed and I wasn't sure if I was going to continue with the latter. That got me most of the way through gold. Um, but then I ran into the same problems that you were talking about and, you know, I couldn't find a variation that I liked. I was playing the the midrange, like the Doom Whisperer version. I was playing the really kind of more aggressive version, the Wild Growth Walker version, um, the Planeswalker version. So when I gave up on that, um, I found a nice mono white list that went to mythic i think i saw it on reddit i should have taken down the the name of the creator uh or at least the person that piloted it to mythic and it was interesting it was zero removal mono white weenie um really it was running just no conclave tribunals and it was running um for pride pride of the conquerors and the idea there was to get an explosive turn four turn five win with you know either double pride of the conquerors or banalish marshal plus pride or something like that um and I had a lot of success with that deck. I got to platinum with that. And then once I was in platinum and I didn't really have, like, I wasn't at risk of ranking down, um, I decided to try something different. So I started playing uh, blue-red uh, Drakes, but not not the Phoenix version, the uh, Niv-Mizzet version. So where you're running, it's almost it almost plays like mono blue, where you're running um, big threats that you protect with dive downs and spell pierces and things like that. And what I found was, is I found that um, it had a really good game against a lot of decks, but it was hard to pilot, um, at least for somebody like me. So that I tried to get my timing figured out, try to figure out when to save spell pierce, when to play out my threats, when to, you know, play around a board wipe, when to not play around a board wipe. Um, and I played that to some success. Um, I think I got most of the way through plat four to plat three. And then I went back to, to white weenie, and now I'm running uh, a different variation on white weenie, which is... Um, more of a mix of main deck cards and sideboard cards together. So it's kind of like less aggressive than the version I was running before, um, but not quite as mid-rangey as, you know, let's say a Golgari deck or something like that. So that's kind of what I'm running right now. And um, I'm about halfway through plat three, I think. I think I'm just one pip over halfway through. So uh, okay. it's it's been going well. Like my win rate, you know, I, I tracked it. What am I looking at? Like almost 40 games or something like that. Um, and I'm halfway through plat three. So that's a pretty, pretty decent win rate. The interesting thing to me is I'm tracking my stats here is I'm tracking all of my matchups in under just under 40 games. I've played against 14 different archetypes in platinum, which is crazy to me. Like gold, obviously you expect because everybody ends up in gold, but to see 14 different archetypes is either an indication that people haven't figured out the best of one, which maybe not is, isn't the case or that people really can't afford multiple decks, which is probably the case, or that standard is in such an interesting spot right now that all of these decks can be viable and can attack the meta in different ways. Um, and you would expect that if people have gotten to platinum, they have a reasonable or reasonably positive win percentage. You know, it's obvious they can they can change decks here and there, but um, I, I found it interesting that, like, you know, I ran into, like I said, a vampire deck, and I ran into a couple of different versions of red-white. Like, there's there is an actual Boros version, um, and then there's just the heroic reinforcements version. I've, you know, there's three or four flavors of control. There's a Grixis, uh, Nickel Bolas control that I ran into, and it felt like all of them were winnable games for me, but all of them were also losable games. And I think that's the important thing is that there's no free wins in the best of one ladder. There's no easy matchups. Right? Yeah, no. I mean, even even your Turbo Fog against Mono Red, like you look at it and you're like, I got you, but like 
they probably I, still I don't have... always I, yeah I've, I've lost to it for exactly. sure and it's and it's so it's it's interesting but it's also frustrating at the same time because i can't just steamroll the competition like a candidate in m or something like that where i know the meta so so well that i can just you know take a deck that crushes everything and also have a sideboard set up for it so so it's really interesting to me um i find it interesting that you said that this is a a different format it's not standard it should be looked yeah. at something as as, as diff, being different than standard and i think that's true i was reading an article today um by i think it was brian demars yeah it was on uh channel fireball and uh it's a arena best of one monocolor aggro guide and you know he describes kind of attacking the the meta of best of one as you know instead of just building a main or taking a main deck uh, configuration from a best of three constructed deck you know and just running that that you need to be bringing in pre-sideboarded cards for the meta um, and that usually means a bunch of one ofs in order to make sure that a you have fewer dead cards in your hand um, but also b that you have game against certain decks if you go long for example so the deck that i'm running is a mono white um you know standard mono white version uh, but it has an Ajani in it, it has a Lyra Dawnbringer in it, um, and it has two Pride of the Conquerors in it, plus the four Conclave Tribunals. So it's kind of a mix of your traditional best-of-three style deck, but pre-sideboarded maybe with the Pride of Conquerors and the Ajani and the Lyra for whether that be aggro or control for the Pride of Conquerors, let's say, um, or Ajani, I guess, is also kind of a control matchup card. So mm-hmm. it's just interesting. It's like, how far do you take that and how far do you transform your deck? And I think you need to look at your data and you need to be honest with yourself and say, you know, this this card isn't working. I need to tweak this. I need to tweak this. And I think those that are constantly evolving their deck are going to be in an advantage, whereas those that just pick a deck and go with it um, are probably not at that same advantage. Does that make sense? Certainly, certainly. And then you've got to ask yourself, like, how far down that rabbit hole do you want to go or do you just want to play a linear strategy, mm-hmm. which I, I I think is what best of one is kind of encouraging? Because like I I was thinking about this when I was getting ready for show's tournament today. It's like I could play this mono red deck in that tournament, but I don't even know what sort of sideboard I'd want. It's just not. It's really not built to do that. So I ended up playing the Naya tokens list again. I, Best of three is a different world is what I'm getting at. So like, I feel like that mono red deck is so linear at what it's trying to do that I wouldn't even like most of the time I wouldn't even sideboard anything into it. I might make some considerations of like, if I'm on the player, the draw, but I think that'd be about it. Mm -hmm. Another interesting thing that I saw, and I think this probably summed it up quite nicely is um, I, I saw a comment on Reddit. I think it was where somebody just mentioned that like, playing the best of one ladder almost feels like going to a modern tournament and you know that there's 15 or, or however many decks out there and that your your 75 cards needs to be able to have game against most of them um but you're going in and your main deck is probably going to just straight up lose game one to a lot of those decks but also game ones you're going to win a lot of those games a lot of those matchups and it you know it's almost like you don't have to play the games. You can just sit down across from each other. You could say, okay, let's roll a dice. You know, I win on a five or a six and you win on a one, two, three, four. And then we go to, to sideboarding and we play. And it's almost like best of one is that game one in a, in a modern tournament. 
Yeah, it, it, that that's actually really interesting that you say that. Like, if we sat down at a modern GP and I was like, okay, I'm playing Jund, and you're like, I'm playing Tron, I could almost say, cool, let's go to game two. Exactly. I got a sideboard for you, because, like, I'm not, I'm not beating you game one. Right. And and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, I think that's the way you have to attack this, this format. So, um, you know, not everybody can build a deck, like I said, but everybody can probably tweak a deck slightly for the meta. And um, and I think being flexible, I think, will help you get through. So I know your mono red doesn't necessarily change. And I think there are, there are definitely exceptions to that kind of thought. I think mono blue is probably one of those exceptions as well, where um, that's probably a deck that doesn't have to change. That just seems to have good matchups against a lot of things. Um, but if you're playing, you know, white weenie or you're playing Boros or you're playing something, Golgari specifically, I think, would have to evolve to, to match the meta. So A lot. A lot. Um, it's interesting, but... With a diverse meta, like, can you imagine how terrible this would be if there were three decks? If That's one of the reasons I think I'm enjoying it so much is, like, there's always a little bit of a groan when I realize I'm up against a Jeskai control player, you know, because, like, nobody likes to play that matchup unless you're you're playing control. They must love mirrors. They probably do. But, like, uh, other than that, like, I've seen a lot of diversity and it's been a lot of fun. And even with the Jeskai decks, like, it feels so good when you just hang in there and kill them. Like... I don't know. I, I derive some satisfaction from that. I, I fist pump frequently off stream. So my wife sits behind me at her computer and I will like throw my hands up in the air and swear out loud. Like F yes, I did it. And she looks at me like I'm like, like I, like I shot a puppy or something and be like, no, no, no. I just, I just beat control. It's all good. And then she shakes her head and goes back to playing her game or whatever. Uh huh. Uh huh. But no, like, and it's, and it's good, but you know, I wonder if we would be enjoying it as much if there was only three or four decks. I suspect not. Like if this yeah. if this was the um, uh, spin the wheel of uh, of fortune. What was that uh, deck card? Aetherworks Marvel. Oh God, Aetherworks Marvel was amazing. It was amazing. Can you imagine playing ninety nine percent of your games against Aetherworks Marvel? Uh, I would love to play. I remember, I top aided a PTQ with Aetherworks Marvel on Magic Online. I do. I remember. would play that all day long. I would that not. Was so much fun. I would not. I there's enough coin flips already when you sit down at the table in, in best of one. Um, I couldn't take ten or fifteen more coin flips into my game. You know, and people complained about that and said that was the case with Aetherworks Marvel, and to an extent they were right, but like, I played that mirror so many times that I knew exactly what card to play when, what to fetch, how to work it, what energy I needed to have, what cards they had that mattered. Like, I felt like an expert in that mirror match, and that was rewarding. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and then they banned it. And then they banned it. But that was a miserable standard, I think, for a lot of it, people. It, so it, it was. It was. I'm not going to argue with you, but just bad, bad example for me because I jammed that one. But generally speaking, yes, it is It is good to have diversity in the decks like this. Now, the downside is, is that we're going to have rotation. So I think free-to-play players are going to be at a bit of a disadvantage coming up. Um, you know, I, for example, have spent all my wild cards. I think I might have two or three sitting around, um, you know, the next set coming out is going to change the meta. There's going to be some decks. Uh, might take a couple of weeks after release to start seeing those decks, but there's some interesting uh, mechanics. There's some interesting cards coming out, specifically anti-control cards that I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, you know, your free-to-play player is going to have maybe a tough time keeping up, but um, I think anybody else that has wild cards sitting around, it's going to be a good time to be uh, to be in the ladder. We're going to see a shifting meta, and it's going to be a lot of fun. 
I would imagine that any free-to-play player that is is listening to this and really interested in doing well at this is doing exactly what you're doing, which is ranking up, completing their quests, and saving that gold. Because what are you doing as soon as the next set comes out? Oh, I am drafting. Yeah, darn right you are. Draft as much as you can, um, especially if it's a new season. You should get some easy games. But even if it's not, and you're like, I know I need these you know, four copies of these three commons and two copies of this particular rare for my deck that I'm building. Draft away, man. Yeah. So, like, I don't even think it'll be that hard for the free-to-play player. You just have to be a little bit prepared for this season to change. Yeah, and I think that's another reason to not play your pet decks, too, is that, you know, you you have a lot more wild cards sitting around. Like, I saved up a lot of cards to finally get my History Banalias and my Banalish Marshals so I could play all sorts of variations of white decks and I've been enjoying it and it's paid off for me. Um, but you know, to get them so late in the, in the cycle and with another set coming up, it was kind of a, you know, it was really tough for me to do and tough to spend those wild cards. But I mean, if they're just sitting there and you're not spending them, like they're kind of going to waste on their own. So Mm -hmm. I encourage all you free to play players to get out there draft and then build some decks and, and try to grind that ladder, try to hit that plat or that diamond. So we're going to keep it a little short today because uh, Travis is having some issues. If you watch his stream, you understand what I'm talking about here. Um, But uh, we did want to debate the best of one versus best of three. Not quite Hyper Bowl 2, but it probably could be pretty close to Hyper Bowl 2. Yeah, I would say this is close enough. Okay, so we'll call it then. It's Hyper Bowl 1.5. I'm done. Best best (laughs) of one versus best of three. In, In a ranked, I think we're going to say in a ranked environment, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, so forget, because I think we're both on the same page, that best of three is definitely better for, you know, GPs and, you know, limited drafting at your F&M and stuff like that, right? Sure, okay. sure. Okay, so what side do you want? Do you want best of one or do you want best of three? I'll take best of one if you're going to offer it. I am offering best of one. That is how much I know that I'm going to crush you in this draft. Okay. <laughs> in this draft, in this debate, <laughs> I said draft. Yeah, you're just so used to drafting. I got draft on the mind. Okay, so sell me on best of one. I guess you're the house, so you get to start. So sell me on best of one. Why is this the superior format for ranking in MTG Arena? I think it's got a lot of things going for it. One is it's a a very easy way for new players to get into something competitive. Uh, Sideboarding can be difficult, and that's part of what makes it so rewarding. Now, I'm not arguing that best of three is terrible, I'm just going to take the the perspective of why this is good for ranked. If we're bringing somebody new in, them learning how to build a best of one deck is kind of step one, and them learning how to build a, you know, a solid seventy five with sideboard is is like an, an entire another step. So I, I think that it's approachable, which I like. I also think that it's relatively quick, which I like. Uh, there have been times like Martin got me into Counter Strike. And I've enjoyed playing Counter-Strike, and I played some with Marty and had a good time. But the competitive mode in that game, you're committing to 45 minutes. So there's been time where I'm like, do I have 45 minutes before dinner, or do I not? I guess I don't, so I'll just do a casual game. And this this gives you that, you know, I've got 10 minutes, I can play a competitive game of Magic with real stakes and with something that matters and something on the line in that amount of time. And then people that have more time can just play more of that game. 
And I, I think that those are two really strong reasons for me that I, I like best of one is the latter scenario. Now, I'll give you some points on the other side. Like, all of the tournaments that have been organized around Arena have been organized as best of three tournaments. And I, I think the reason why is, like, competitive players know that best of three is reducing the variance involved. And they, they'd like to have more, you know, variance working for them in that 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 situation. But I also think best of one gives us an opportunity to explore cards that we normally wouldn't play. So, like... Normally, I would avoid high-variance strategies, but now all of a sudden that we've got best of one, you know, ranked constructed and ranked draft, if it's already going to be about variance, I can kind of double down on that and say, well, maybe I'll just go for a strategy that that is exceptionally linear and difficult for other people to beat. Like, I I don't know that Turbofog is still really, really seeing much play in best of three constructed, but it's certainly a deck on this ladder, and I think that's kind of cool that different strategies and different decks get a chance to shine. So that that would be my opening salvo. Okay. It's approachable, it's quick, and it allows for unique decks to shine. Okay. So I will I will give you those three points. I think that is fair, but I don't I don't think that those are good reasons to have them ranked. So approachable sh- is sure, and that's totally fine for best of one that it's it's approachable. Um, but I think that you don't necessarily want your newer players to be necessarily playing in a ladder or playing ranked. I think you could probably have them earning their rewards or playing competitive competitively. I say that with air quotes um, outside of a ladder in a best of one environment that kind of eases them into, to magic, the gathering. I think best of three should be the de facto standard for magic period. Um, I can fully appreciate that there are more magic players that play at their kitchen table probably than play any other form of magic and that they all don't really have a format. They don't, some of them might play best of three. Some of them might play best of nine. They might play best of ones. They might not even keep score. Who cares? Um, but, I, but I think that best of three being the traditional way to play not only competitive magic, but almost any kind of organized magic, I think I would say. Um, and I th- and I think that arena should should fall in should should fall in line with that should encourage that. So I think best of ones, well, yes, approachable for new players. I think would be a good reason to move those new players potentially out of the ladder. Um, now I think maybe maybe there's an option where as you move up the ladder, best of threes become the standard instead of best of ones. Um, but I think that's you know that the format I don't think matters. I think the fact that best of one introduces variants is not a positive thing. Um, I think that the reason I like magic is that there is no, there's very little variance in terms of the actual gameplay itself outside of the mana system and outside the card drawing system. I think that that is the variance that I tolerate because, you know, that's in most games, right? Most card games, board games, things like that. There's a deck that gets shuffled and, and sometimes the cards don't come down in your favor, but I think introducing variance into the game um, is one of the reasons why I went away from some of the other games that are popular. So Hearthstone, for example, the variance was the main reason why I left that game. Um, I didn't appreciate that, you know, I could make a, the correct decision or I could make what was the correct decision and, and usually get punished for it or sometimes get punished for it. Sometimes that happens in Magic, but I think that is far less frequent. It feels like I have more control over the game. Um, and it feels like when I sit down to play best of one, I have less control over the result of that game, which is why I have to look at them in bundles of 10 or bundles of 20 games. Um, So I think actually the best of one having the increased variance 
is actually detrimental to new players because they sit down and maybe they only play two or three games. And if they're on the wrong side of variance, they potentially leave that session with a sour feeling and or, or sour taste in their mouth because they got the wrong end of the stick on variance. Whereas somebody like me or somebody like you, they can play 20 games in a session. I can see that larger data set and I'm okay with that variance in the long run. I don't, I, th I think that punishes new players a bit more than it would uh, established players. So I, I would argue that new players, it's funny because new players probably don't want less variance because that means the better players win. But I think if you pit new player against new player, you want less variance rather than more. I don't necessarily think that you're wrong. And I, 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 that's why this is Hyper Bowl one and a half instead of Hyper Bowl two, because we're not like seriously arguing this, mm -hmm. but I, I would bring some, some distinction here. I, I want to address two points and remind me and make sure I hit both of these, the new player experience and then ladder versus competitive so I do think if I'm getting into a new card game, the first thing that I'm interested in in that card game is how do I compete? What do I do to show that I'm better at this than other players? And I want to play against the best people that I can so I can get better. So for me as a new player going into a, a new card game, which was the experience I had when I tried Hearthstone, who has a ladder very similar to this is I immediately jumped in and I got to a certain rank and then realized that my my deck and my not understanding quite the mechanics of that game was the limiting factor. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for a new person to come in, take their newbie deck and get through bronze and then say, okay, I'm in silver now. I can probably grind this out or I can build a good deck and then definitely hit that wall in gold. And that's where they're like, okay, I need to level up and get better at this game to progress. And then they've got a, a world of choices to go to actually do that. So it kind of eases them into that competitive idea. And then two, I don't think ladder and competitive are necessarily synonymous. Mm -hmm. Now, there may be rewards for, for ranking up in the ladder. But like if you pay attention to Hearthstone, and again, Hearthstone has been very successful. And for me, was a fun game. It, it ultimately was not the one that I chose to stream and, and invest you know, so much of my energy in, but like in their tournaments, they're not best of ones. Mm -hmm. You know, they have an interesting system where you bring several decks and your opponent bans one, and then you basically put, play best out of three or best out of five. So I, I think competitive can still be different. Like the Twitch Rivals event, and then both of these tournaments that show has, has organized have been best of three. So it's, it's possible that competitive magic on arena will actually be best out of three. And I, I kind of hope that it is because I like that. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't mind it for the latter, especially if most most of what we're getting here is, you know, some sort of cosmetic reward to show off that we did it and potentially some sort of invite to a tournament or recognition from our peers for achieving a certain level. I, I think you were spot on about mom and dad mythic potentially being diamond. Uh, and then like, how high do you get up in diamond? Are you going to push for that? Or how high do you get up in Mythic? Like, that's a decision for me. Once I hit it, do I want to be Mythic 1? Do I want to say, ah, oh, okay, done with that. Let's go draft. Mm -hmm. But I think that biggest argument is that I do think it's not bad for the new players. They're just going to hit a wall, and then the, the onus is on them what to do with it. And then, like I said, finally, I, I don't think ladder and competitive are necessarily synonymous. That's an interesting point. I, I don't think I've heard that as, like, the best of one is not necessarily competitive, um, or at least in the same same way that a, that a best of three tournament is competitive right like if you sit down and play in the in the best of three queues you know you have a very 
tangible reward at the end that you're working toward and every game or every match matters. Whereas in the latter, you know, if I lose one right now, if I logged in the lost right now, it wouldn't matter because I could just go and win the next one or I can win the next two. Mm-hmm. Like, again, you have to look at that that long. You have to look at the big picture. So you're you're really competing against yourself. You're not competing against anybody in particular. If I unless I'm in mythic. But if I get to, to plat three, that doesn't mean I knocked somebody out of plat three to get there. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that that like you know plat three isn't a percentage of players like it is in some games. Like I I don't know if League of Legends or or uh, Heroes of the Storm does this, but like they used to have ranks that were based on percentage of players, and that you could actively go down when you weren't playing. I understand that's how it works, kind of in Mythic. Um, yeah. But like unless you're in Mythic, it's really not you're not competing against anybody. Anybody, everybody is a faceless kind of person at the other side of the table from you. Whereas when you're playing a best of three tournament or a single elimination tournament or something like that, um, that's different. So I think you've kind of diffused the entire argument there because I think we're now working under a different definition of what, quote, competitive is. And, you know, obviously latter year individual games can be competitive, but I think, you know, without us uh, without us thinking that it is competitive, then I think we're right. I think best of three is better for competitive and best of one is probably better for some kind of ladder. Although I still, I do think they can do a best of three ladder. And I think that that would be more engaging, although probably a longer, much longer grind. They would have to figure out a way to do the best of three ladder slightly differently, I think. Yeah. And I, I, again, I'm not really sure what that would mean. Um, I, I, I just saw Twitter all up in flames about this and everybody upset and, you know, Reddit's angry, which is, you know, bizarre because they're never angry on Reddit. But like I was looking at it and I was like, let's let's just try it before we poop on it, because I've, I've done so much of this old man yelling at cloud as stuff would come out and getting frustrated. And then as I actually looked at it and played through it, I'm like, you know what? This is actually OK. Mm-hmm. This is actually OK. And I, I understand standard was never my baby. I'm somebody that's new playing this best of one format. So like I'm the new player they're looking to get into this and they got me. I, again, I went from somebody who's played magic for, you know, 20 years and professionally played magic for the past five years. But all I ever did was draft and play some sealed. And th- this ladder system got me into playing it. So if it can do that when I was actively resisting it, in- unless there was a particular tournament I was interested in, I, like I'm, I'm playing this ladder for fun and enjoying it. Like for me, that's the end all of it. It's like, there'll be other people that are doing that, mm-hmm. you know? And if, if the best of three is really what you want, like there's still plenty of tournaments you can go to and do that. And magic online is still set up to do that. And they even still have those events here in arena. Like, and there's people playing them and having a blast with it. It just doesn't add to your rank. Yeah. It's funny because it's, it's that rank that is the difference. Uh, it's that mm-hmm. having that badge and that, that claim to fame where you can say like I hit platinum or I hit mythic or diamond or whatever it is. So um, I think the Twitter being up in arms was because of the fear that real life competitive magic will go to best of one. And we kind of saw maybe the start of that with the um, was it not the world championships, the um, the player of the year playoff where they played a, hearthstone style best of one bring four deck format and you had to win a game with every deck and well it was an interesting format it went so far against what professional level magic had been that was almost like a shock like a culture shock um and i think people seeing this 
you know, the, the, the Watsi folks coming out and saying that, you know, 97% of, of their games are best of one and, and things like that. I think people started to put all of that together and said like, whoa, 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 let's pump the brakes on this. You know, people like best of ones for reasons that are different than why they like best of three. And I think both are, you know, very good. And I think these people are just very passionate about making sure that, you know, competitive magic, top level magic, um, remains best of threes, because I think that is a more interesting experience for best of one, at least from a play perspective, maybe from a viewing perspective, best of one is, is a little more interesting in the long run, or at least maybe it'll capture more viewers. But like, I know you don't watch the pro tour, but we watched LSV Molda five in game five of the, the pro tour finals. And, you know, if, if that was a game one, like that's just not magic. That's just not entertaining. That's not, you can't root for the person when they mold a five in game one and then just lose the match because they lost game one. Right. So that kind of stuff happens. And I think that, like I said, it's probably fine in the latter, but I think people are just afraid that they're going to lose their best of three at that top level pinnacle level magic. And that's where a lot of players that are playing Friday night magic, they're like, you know, maybe I'll spike a GP one day. You know, it's a lot harder to do when you're playing best of ones. There's a lot more variance involved. Well, that may actually work in their favor if, well, if you're... Yeah, nobody wants to admit that they're not as good of a player as they think, though. Well, if I'm playing LS, against LSV, I want to play the highest variance format possible. I think he's better than me. But, like, one of the reasons I don't watch the Pro Tour is I don't want to watch people shuffling cards for 30 minutes. Like, if there was an Arena Pro Tour, I'd watch it. And I, I would, again, remind people, even, you know, with a, a weird format of bring four decks, that's not best of one. Mm-hmm. But, but it was that, best of just... one. Like each, yeah, sorry, each game was best of one. I mean, I think, I think the difference. Yeah. Like you, you say that Hearthstone is best of five or best of seven with a bunch of different decks. I don't. I, I think that's a little disingenuous about how the format is. It's a series of best of one games, right? Where you have to you play your deck once or you play your deck until you win or whatever. Um, but you're not playing sideboarded matches, for example. So, um, I, I think I think they're different beasts, and and I don't think you're wrong. Um, I just think that. I, well, my final thing I'm going to say about this. I think that if Hearthstone had started out and was best of three, Magic Arena would not be best of one for the latter. It would be best of three. I think that, that Hearthstone created this environment of uh, instant gratification games, best of one games, quick games you could play on your phone, which is fine, right? I might say, you know, I say instant gratification like it's a bad thing, but it's not necessarily, right? We're in a, in a go, go, go world where people want to play on their commute to work or something like that. Um, but, I, but I think if Hearthstone was a best of three game and it, and all the other games that followed it were best of three, I think you would end up where we are today and we would not even be talking about this. We would be talking about, you know, how good card X is out of the sideboard in, in the ladder, as opposed to what deck are you bringing to the ladder? Sure. And if arena had come out 10 years ago, like that, that would be different too. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad thing for them to be looking at the structure of the most successful digital card game and saying, hey, let's let's maybe learn something from that. So for, for me, my final thing is I'm going to try it. I'm going to hit Mythic at some point this month. And after having done that, I can let you know about, you know, did it feel like it took too long? Was it boring? Was it fun? What level was involved there? And then I want to see what they tack on as the rewards. You know, if it's something like the top 32 players get invited to a tournament... I kind of don't care what format it is. Whatever it is, I'm going to try to break it and get to go to that tournament because I, I just want to play on the competitive scene. When I get to that tournament, I kind of hope it's, you know, best of three, unless it's a bunch of players that are better than me. 
in which case I hope it's best of one. So like it, it's, it, it's, it's a weird situation that we're all kind of muddling through together, but let's reserve judgment until we've played it and seen the final, the, the final act of this play. Yeah. I, I've got it solved. We'll play best of twos. Okay. With it, with a tiebreaker game three. <laughs> I see what you did there. All right. I think we're going to call it there. I'm going to let you go recover. Thank you for the spirited debate. Indeed, sir. So, thank you to all our listeners. Uh, sorry again for the time off over the Christmas, uh, but we should be back to our regular schedule starting, I guess, tomorrow when this goes up. So, thanks for listening and thanks for sticking with us through the last couple of weeks. It's much appreciated. Thanks to Face to Face Games for the support and all the or the host and all the support. And uh, where can they catch you streaming this week? You can find me at Simulin. It's twitch.tv slash Simulin, S-E-M-U-L-I-N. And I'm on Twitch at DCivillian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at Men for Moto. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Adios.